0: Hello, and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason, and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hey, how's it going, Jason? Pretty good. And uh, we today are talking about players who uh, did really great in their early part of their career, but for whatever reason, things kind of fell off, and they looked like they were on the track of being in the all-time greats by age 25 or in their first five seasons, but uh, didn't quite get there. And we're going to explore some of the reasons uh, what happened. We're going to explore some of the all-time greats and explore what percentage of their career value they attained early on in their career and just kind of explore that topic a little bit. Kind of got a, a few different ways of doing that.
1: Yeah, so obviously with with the current NBA, and it's been really this way for, for quite a number of years. Is you know younger players are are playing much better. You know, in their first few years, the first five years before age twenty five, obviously coming in after one college season, they're starting you know with a little bit of a head start. They get a few more years, but uh, we we see historically too that there were a lot of guys, even your your all time legends, were great before age twenty five, and that's sort of a, a fun exploration is to look then at the guys that maybe didn't turn out great. And and in some of these cases, some of these guys are Hall of Famers. So when we say great. It's still kind of relative in the sense that like, you know, a few of the guys that we're going to say are, are definitely Hall of Famers and no dot Hall of Famers. But when we talk about all time greatness, I mean, you look at here and just kind of a quick snapshot to give people an idea uh, for players under 25. So this is 25 years old and under. Here's the windshare share ranks. So these are players 25 and under the all time ranks in windshares. shares. Number one is LeBron James with 103. I believe he's on a pretty good trajectory It'd be pretty good overall all time. Uh, Kevin Durant is number two. Uh, Karim Abdul-Jabbar is number three uh Dwight Howard's number um four we'll talk to him we'll talk about him here in a little bit cuz he might be one that that's a pretty interesting case then you got Chris Paul, Julius Irving, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Trace McGrady, you know it's it's we're talking and McGrady's the guy we're going to bring up a little bit here but you're talking about LeBron, Durant kareem you know chris paul julius Irving, michael jordan kobe like these are all-time guys here and and like that's something that that's definitely and then you go to the rest of the top 20 you got moses malone Artis gilmore Shaq, oscar robertson tim duncan magic johnson charles barkley like so it's not a, a new phenomenon that players are, are, are doing well you know before they're age 25 but like you look at that list and it's like a lot of the guys that are good before age 25 are all-time legends and and, and stay good but there are some guys who have some big fallout points and we're going to talk about that a little bit and sort of explore those guys and look at maybe what happened in their career and why they didn't achieve what I would consider all-time greatness or what we would consider you know sort of that all-time all-time greatness
0: and obviously if you're looking at guys if we're using the age 25 cutoff obviously the guys who you know in the last 20 years who came out of high school and had one year of college are going to have more years to accumulate this so um but but it's so interesting to you know there's exceptions to that um and looking at the numbers themselves like LeBron has 103. Number two, Durant, has uh, 89. So there's a huge disparity there. Kareem's the only other guy above 80. And then you have this, you know, block of guys for, um who are in the 70s from, you know, Howard, Paul, Irving, um, Kobe, Jordan, McGrady, who are all in the 70s. And then you have, you know, a bunch of guys who are in the uh, 60s that you listed before. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's worth noting how much, you know, LeBron, Dur- you know, LeBron is above everybody and then Durant and Kramer are above everybody. And then there's, you know, a, a cluster of guys in the 70s. Yeah, so that's interesting. too. Mm. So our first guy uh, that we're kind of digging into is Easy Ed McCauley, uh, who was uh, best known for being part of the early Celtics, pre-Bill Russell uh, Celtics. In fact, he was traded for Bill Russell. We'll get to that in a moment. But um, he was actually a territorial pick in the 1949 BAA draft. Um and uh, that also included uh, Vern Mickelson, who went to the Lakers and was part of their big dynasty. Uh, also, in, uh, th- really three Hall of Famers from that draft: uh, McCauley, Mickelson, and Dick McGuire. Uh, it was the final BA draft until the league uh, merged with the NBA to become the NBA. So um, he actually started off with the St. Louis Bombers. He was from St. Louis, and uh, but then you know went on to fame with the with the Celtics from. Fifty to fifty-six was drafted by the Celtics from the Bombers in one of the many uh, dispersal drafts of the early fifties because teams were you know um, disbanding left and right during that time, Um, and he. Led the league in field goal percentage twice, um, averaged 19 points per game, 8.6 8. rebounds per game through age 25. This was a, during a time, you know, pre-shot clock where the um, you know, pace was slowed. So those are strong numbers for that right. time. 19
1: is great. Yeah. 19 is like elite, elite level scoring at this time. So that's uh, just to give you context. Yeah, that's that's a big deal, 19 points a game. Exactly.
0: So and he set an NBA record for shooting percentage, 48.6 from the field. Also very good for the time. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's So.
0: Um, and had the ninth most win chairs by age uh, 25, um, 69.4, uh, and ended with hundred point four. Uh, was still very good for like another four seasons. Uh, before, kind of fell off in his last season before retiring. You know, part of this is just he had a short career. Um yeah. in guys in the fifties, with very very few exceptions, you know, played about you know nine ten years, and that and that was it. So, uh, you know, obviously you can you're not going to be able to accumulate a lot if you don't play that long. Yeah,
1: no, and that's that's definitely an issue with Macaulay, and 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 the stats, like we said, like the first you know four years after uh that big you know peak that he had, you know, up to age twenty five, still solid years. But by the fifth year, you could tell it was kind of done. And then you you do wonder that even if he did play four or five more years, how much he would have actually accumulated. But like you said, it's sort of the the, the way that the game was played that time, and and the way the players you know sort of aged at that point. It was like you you played nine ten years, your your body was was kind of done, and then yeah. you went and you know you did something else. You either coached or you went to you know some sort of management role, or you just. That, stop playing basketball because it was you know hey you're done with pro basketball and you're done but yeah obviously with modern medicine and modern health and the modern you know athletic training or whatever guys are obviously lasting a lot longer but yeah mccauley is a great example of a guy who you know peaks high and then you know by his 30s is pretty much done right in the league which is not uncommon at that time oh, yeah, absolutely
0: yeah the travel was harder the the guys were not taking care of their bodies you know all that good stuff um yeah so he um as we mentioned, you know, I was traded for Bill Russell uh, very famously uh, to the Hawks who at this point were in St. Louis. So he got back to St. Louis. Um, I, I believe he had a um, – his, his son was not in the – or son or daughter was not in the best of health. So there, there was some personal reasons to go back to St. Louis. So he's happy to uh, do so. Um and uh, and then the he, he helped lead the Hawks in fifty seven finals. They lost to the Celtics, but they actually won in fifty eight, uh, beating the uh, Celtics four games to two. They're the franchise's only championship. Although by then he was a um, more of a role player. Averaging 5.8 points per game, 6.3 rebounds per game in those finals. Uh, by then, it was Bob Pettit and Cliff Hagan's team. Cliff Hagan also part of that uh, trade with the uh, Celtics, mm-hmm. another Hall of Famer. Um, and yeah, for, for, for the decade of the 50s, he, despite being a center, he had the eighth most assists of all NBA players, and he's 12th all time among centers in assists per game. So that's a really uh, you know strong mark. And he, he, his reputation was that you know he was a really good offensive player, but just was not you know uh, not a very good defensive player. Not really big enough to defend the you know the big guys who were in the league at that point um you know he was he was quick and agile and he was actually more of a forward-sized player even at that time but you know played um kind of an undersized center and um you know like at a certain point was obviously was effective because those even pre-championship those teams with the Celtics were you know pretty good but you know they always kind of had trouble in the playoffs because they lacked the you know really awesome big man and obviously once they get Bo Russell that was not a problem Right, yeah. Once, once you cannot shoot around the rim
1: because Bill Russell is blocking you, it certainly helps you win a lot. It is is pretty good, yeah.
0: So, um, yeah, and then uh, he did briefly coach the uh, the uh, Hawks as as many people coached the Hawks during that time, Um, (laughs) and then uh, actually it led them to the uh, finals. it led them to the finals in 1960. Uh, they lost in Game Seven to the Celtics in the uh, in the finals. Um, and uh, yeah, he even admitted later, like uh, you know, I wasn't really much of a coach, but you know, whatever. Uh, they, the, the fact that they got to uh, you know Game Seven was a pretty good. Yeah, and for I think he was there for about a year and a half, so that's a pretty good mm-hmm. uh, that's a pretty good run for St. Louis Hawks coach.
1: No, not bad at all. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's kind of a tough one. Like, I felt bad including him because there's a few different reasons, you know, why he's I, I think so obviously on this list is is you know, the air he plays in does not play late into his 30s, but he's still a no doubt Hall of Famer and no doubt, you know, had a great all-time player, but maybe not the greatness. I mean, we're talking about top 10 all-time in terms of win by age 25, and even in his era, that stands out. I mean, we, we've talked and we listed the guys and a lot of the other guys we listed were your 80s guys, your 90s guys, even your current guys. McCauley kind of stands out there. It's like, wow, he he really was head and shoulders above of almost everybody else by age 25. But then all time, when you look at it, I don't think Ed McCauley is the first name that comes up when you talk about, you know, the great players of, of you know, the 50s and the 60s or whatever, yeah, he's, he's like, not one of those guys. Yeah, yeah,
0: he's on the second team of that list, probably. Yeah. Exactly, yeah.
1: And and he's, yeah. and by age 25, he wasn't. I mean, he was maybe uh, arguably one of the best, but yeah. yeah, he just kind of falls off after that point.
0: Sure, yeah. I, I think the, maybe the best way to think of this is like we're talking about guys who, you know, by age 25 or in their first five seasons were on track to be, you know, maybe top Ten, top fifteen players of all time, and then you know, and, and some of these guys here, you know, might be top fifty, but might not be top fifty. You'd probably top one hundred, but that, that's you know, that's kind of the mm-hmm. I think a good way to. And, and a couple of the guys we're talking about you know completely fell off and aren't even anywhere near there. So um, I think that's a pretty good way to think of you know kind of, kind of this crop of guys who are like, oh yeah, they're still hall of famers, they're still really good, but you know they just for whatever reason you know, didn't quite reach the. They're not top ten, top not top fifteen players of all time for sure.
1: Uh, So next guy we're talking about is Dwight Howard, and he's he's interesting, and he's going to be a guy. And I'm I'm curious, Jason, just kind of a quick aside. There's a lot of weirdness about how we sort of react to Dwight Howard these days, uh, how people you know in the in the modern NBA landscape and how we sort of think of Dwight Howard all the time. Because you'll see a lot of arguments where people are like, "Oh, I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer" and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, man, this guy was fucking great for a long, long, long time. And it's just like, I I think he's going to be a guy. I feel like because because he's weird, he's annoying. Everybody hates him. You know what I mean? Coaches hate him. Players hate him. He's just kind of a he's weird he's he's annoying or whatever but he's a guy that maybe after he retires and then like 10 years past people do you think then will maybe appreciate him a little bit more because it'll be out of the context of what he was like when he was playing or actively playing I, I don't know because I feel like there's just a lot of stupidity around his his legacy and his career
0: yeah I that's interesting um you know I, I think part of it is that like he he declined as a player relatively early because of the back injuries and you know mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff, and he still puts up good numbers, but I don't think the impact is there anymore. He just you know right, he, they're very
1: empty. They're he, very empty double doubles. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, I
0: mean that's still I mean that that's still impressive, but it's not leading. It's not you know conducive to winning basketball anymore, um, really. And given you know kind of the the volume, he's still you know. Trying to shoot, trying to put up shots and post ups and all that all that stuff and you just can't defend like he you know could in his prime he was absolutely an amazing player in his prime um, I, I don't know I, I mean I think people are going to say that it was a weak era for centers I mean he's he's a no doubt Hall of Famer he might not be first ballot because um, the Hall of Fame can be kind of weird but I mean he's definitely going to be in there I, I think I, I I find it hard to believe that there's going to be like some sort of renaissance of like you know, the people who dislike him now I'm not sure they're going to it, it, well. I guess there's like people who dislike him because of his personality and there's people who think he wasn't like a hall of Famer. And, and I, yeah, right, right.
1: I think there's two different camps there. There's like, and and I'm definitely in the, like does not enjoy Dwight Howard as a person or 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 whatever, but, but appreciate what he was able to do in his prime and appreciate how good he was for a handful of years that we're going to talk about here in a sec. So yeah, I think there is those two different camps and I'd be curious to see, Um, Where they sort of are in in 10 years or whatever.
0: Right. I mean, yeah, I I don't know if there's going to be like a whole lot of minds that change during that time unless there's, you know, maybe some studies on like, you know, maybe there, there are some ways of being able to see like the deeper impact that he had on those magic teams. And, you know, maybe maybe the those, you know, eight years or so can be. You know, evaluated with maybe better stats or maybe better video study or whatever to kind of show like, oh, yeah, this guy was like one of the great defensive forces in NBA history for, you know, a good period of time. Maybe that's it. I mean, he, he did win like four Defensive Player of the Year awards. So, yeah, yeah right. I mean, he, you know he's <laughs> he's certainly been honored, you know, quite a bit. But, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't see it changing massively, but, it's you know, it's not impossible, I guess.
1: Well, let's uh, let's get into a little bit of him, because obviously best Bites age 25. He is a great example of this. Uh, first overall pick in the 2004 draft. It was not a very great draft. The all stars of the 2004 draft are Devin Harris, who I when the hell did Devin Harris make an all star team? And how many people had to get hurt before Devin Harris?
0: Was <laughs> uh, elected yeah, the I mean, it was did really, uh, not was... want to
1: show up to whatever city it was to get. Was it Get that year that they won yeah.
0: like sixty-seven games and had you know like I mean, I'm I'm assuming it was around then you know when the Mavericks were just you know yeah, tri- winning yeah I crazy was, yeah, I'm I'm not a regular season games. yeah
1: I don't know I I should look to see what year it was but uh, yeah, yeah it's uh, pretty wild there Luol Deng is also a uh, all-star from this draft Andre Iguodala Jameer Nelson. That's it. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Great. Uh, so you got Devin Harris and Jameer Nelson, who like, eh, you know, I, uh, okay. Right. And then Luol Dang, who, who made two all-star games. And I, I guess, you know, Luol had yeah, some I, fun stuff. We'll talk about him a little bit more. And then Iguodala had a, had a few good years, but uh, yeah, that's a, not, a, not a wonderful draft yeah, there. I but, mean, but, Dwight's yeah.
0: the only Hall of Famer there for sure. Maybe, maybe Iguodala, if he's, if depending on, you know, the rest of his career with the Warriors, maybe he, I, I could see that possibly being in. But but yeah, I mean, Dwight's the only, like, you know, no doubt great yeah, player there. So.
1: Maybe Devin Harris gets a renaissance in Denver and uh, we talk about the great oh, sure. <laughs> best by yeah. best after age 20, age 35, the Devin Harris run in right. Denver right? and Jameer on the distance, obviously, too. You know? <laughs> oh, of course, yes, yeah. Jameer, forget. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Howard, he made an immediate impact on the Orlando Magic. He finished his rookie year with averages of uh, 12 uh, points per game, 10 rebounds per game. He's the youngest player in NBA history to average a double double in the regular season. Uh, he also became the youngest player in NBA history to average at least 10 rebounds in a season and the youngest. NBA player ever to record at least 20 rebounds in a game. Of course, he comes in out of high school, so he's got a lot of these early, you know, and and. Unlike a lot of other high school players, I mean, even to an extent, LeBron James, like Dwight Howard, really from the beginning, I mean, there was some stuff that obviously his body had to kind of come into form or whatever, but he was a guy who, who made an immediate impact in terms of what you wanted out of him. It was get rebounds and score around the rim, and that's what he did his rookie year quite well. Um, and, and seen him be able to hold up to the physicality of the game as well, which is always an issue with, um, big men coming out from high school or whatever. We've seen issues with like guys like Eddie Curry or whatever, even, a, even Kevin Garnett for an extent had a little bit of a time trying to figure out sort of the physicality and, and, and figure out how to sort of have his body hold up to the rigors but Dwight Howard other than yeah being a little skinny at that point was able to sort of do it pretty well and and accumulate a lot of these great numbers um he was the uh, also the first player in NBA history directly out of high school to start all 82 games in his regular season as well, or his rookie season, I should say, as well. Uh, November 2005, Howard scores 21 points and 20 rebounds. He becomes the youngest player ever to score 20 or more points and gather 20 or more rebounds in the same game. Uh, on April uh, In April of 2009, he becomes the youngest player ever to win the NBA's Defensive Player of the Year Award. Uh, it was a goal that he had set for himself at the beginning of the year, so kind of cool to see him do that. Uh, he led to the Magic to the NBA Finals in only his fifth season, which is pretty cool. There uh, and now, as far as the wind shares, and, and we named, we mentioned him a little bit earlier. Uh, Seventy nine point eight wind shares. That's the fourth most by age twenty five for Dwight Howard, uh, and then forty seven points. Seven win shares in the seven seasons since. Obviously, he's still accumulating those. So, obviously, you see in the first, you know, at first by age twenty five, I'm mean, talking about a guy that's just, you know, just killing it. He's, as we mentioned, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kareem Abdul and then Dwight Howard. <laughs> you know, I and mean? like it's like three of those names are, you know, the, there's there's that upper echelon, and then there's Dwight Howard there. But uh, yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable. By age twenty five, he had been a five time All Star. He had led the league in field goal percentage, rebounds three times, blocks twice, uh, four consecutive years at top NBA's defensive win shares, once in defensive box plus minus i mean he wasn't all around superstar he won the same dunk contest he was endorsing stuff he was it was all about it then obviously the back goes he bounces around between teams and it's kind of the dwight howard we have now where you know it's not quite sure but yeah i mean this is a guy who again top five you know top five all time in terms of win shares by age 25 and now it's like there's legitimate debates about whether or not he he belongs in a hall of fame or whatever so it's 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 pretty interesting to see sort of how his career and, and trajectory that has gone but yeah i mean that's that's pretty remarkable to be you know with lebron durant and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar <laughs> over your first, you know, by age twenty five, but uh, that's kind of the story of Dwight Howard there.
0: Yeah, I, I wouldn't call them legitimate debates. I mean, he's definitely all of Aaron, but um, no, no, I, yeah, for yeah sure. people are make those debates. That, that's that's for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he was really. He, I, I think one thing also, like, I mean, he's obviously a massive human being, but he's not. You know, he's not seven one. He's six ten. Like he was. You know, doing all that rim protection and you know having that defensive impact—not not just you know not just protecting the rim, but also all over the court—as um, a guy who was smaller than a lot of the centers that he was competing against. You know, I mean, I, I think that's there's there's something that's really impressive about the fact that he was able to uh, do that. Obviously, you know, he was especially a couple years in. He he was really muscular. He had an awesome body. I mean, you know, he had he had physical gifts, but he wasn't necessarily. You know, the the biggest guy out there He was competing against some, you know, some really big guys and able to, you know, um, defend them well. So I think that that's something about him as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And super athletic as well. I mean, really, uh, that's going to be one of the things I think that's going to when we go back and look at kind of the the, the history of, you know, Dwight Howard and you look at, at what he was able to do. Just seeing how freak of an athlete he was. I mean, he could just jump. <laughs> so, I mean, like, and big men, obviously, they, they obviously, of course, have an advantage in the court for being taller or whatever. But he's a guy who would I mean, he would have his mouth at the rim a lot of times going on stuff. So and, and that helped a lot with rebounds, as you said, where he was a little bit younger. And obviously, he had a physical gift uh, in terms of muscularity. He was he was able to be bigger than a lot of the guys and sort of help. But he also had great positioning as well. Um, great rim protector, one of the early sort of what we now it's sort of, sort of obvious that you you know your big man stays by the rim and just swats everything away or whatever but there were a while there was a while there where that was sort of something that you didn't see all that much or there weren't guys that were just specialists in that sort of way and and, and dwight was one of those guys who no matter what he would just collapse in and, and and swat everything away anything that came near the rim or whatever was was a great defender as you said defensive player of the year multiple times led the league in defensive win shares but really sort of stood out defensively uh as well as getting all the rebounds and and, and being a pretty good scorer as well couldn't there was always issues about him refining his offensive game in terms of what he was able to do. In the post yeah. and you know, he always wanted to be more of like kind of a bat to the basket post guy when he was actually a lot better at just doing, you know, pick and roll and and, and sort of driving from there. But uh one way or another, I mean it didn't matter because he was putting up huge numbers uh for his first few years. And and so like you said, putting up okay numbers these days, but they seem a little empty and hollow now. Yeah. Uh given that you know he's bouncing around so much and the teams that he's at doesn't don't have the same success that they had when he was in uh, Orlando.
0: Yeah, at his peak, he was the offense wasn't pretty, but it was effective. I mean so yeah, I mean you could see like you know, aesthetically, like, oh you know, if you've just kind of learn some moves maybe you know he, maybe it would be better but it, it would definitely be more fun to watch but you know it was it was working so um although maybe if he'd learn some of that maybe he'd be a little more effective these days with the athleticism winning but you never know so uh yeah next we got uh, tracy mcgrady um who was a uh, ninth overall selected by the raptors in the 97 draft also came out of high school um we had uh tim duncan at number one chauncey billups at uh, number two and uh not really a strong draft after that. We have uh, Keith Van Horn, Antonio Daniels, Tony Battee in the top five. We also have Ron Mercer, Tim Thomas, Adana Foyle, and um, Danny Fortson in the uh, in the top ten. Um, and McGrady is a rookie, struggled a little bit under a hedge coach, uh, Daryl Walker. We've actually... We're touching on this a, a bit in our um, on our twenty years ago series on the ninety seven ninety eight series uh, season, where um, yeah, he definitely he was bunched at times. He there was some you know a concern about like that you know he wasn't playing through injury stuff like that. So, uh, but once Sarah Walker resigned, which car took over, and then. Um, and then T-Mac uh, started to uh, flourish. Uh, the next year, uh, Toronto drafted Vince Carter, who is McGrady's cousin. Um, D Brown once said uh, they're – they say they're cousins, but Siamese t- twins is more like it. So um, – <laughs> McGrady, after uh, a couple years with the Raptors, eventually became a free agent and signed a six-year, $67.5 million contract with Orlando. Uh, this was during a time where the rookie, co- the rookie contracts were overhauled to have longer team control. But at this point, it was only three years, I believe. Um And then uh, the idea was that McGrady would – and Grant Hill, was the other free agent target, would um, play together and be awesome. But unfortunately, uh, Grant Hill did not play very much during his uh, tenure in um, Orlando. He was constantly injured. So it was really McGrady who was able to – who was leading the team. And he flourished personally. But uh, unfortunately for the Magic, they largely did not – they – Never won a playoff series and missed the playoffs altogether uh, several years. Um, McGrady won NBA Most Improved Player of the Year and then, you uh, know, three had just one of the all-time great seasons. Won the scoring title with 32 points per game, 6.5 rebounds per game, and 5.5 assists per game. Actually only finished fourth in MVP voting but really was, you know, uh, arguably should have been MVP that year at least maybe second to Duncan. Won um, other scoring title the next year then eventually was um, – traded to houston in the offseason after things kind of soured in orlando and it, his playing was fine but more i, I think personality conflicts there um and uh, and then they kind of made way for dwight howard actually uh was the, the ironic thing there but yeah, had 72 win shares by age uh, 25 in 2005 um but then over the next seven seasons only had 25.2 as he battled uh injuries uh was in five all-star games at the time he was 25 um and as we talked about the 03 season he led the league in box plus minus Winchester for 48 offensive win and it just had a an awesome PER so all all those numbers like it's one of the great you know particularly offensive seasons in NBA history
1: yeah, and, and Tim Duncan, who won the MVP that year, had a solid year as well. He was at uh, 23.3 points per game, 12.9 uh, rebounds per game, and obviously had some team success along the way as well, but I mean, that T-Mac year is one of the, and I'm obviously a noted T-Mac hater, but that's a year that you just had. To, I mean, it's an unbelievable one on a lot of levels, and I think, um, I forget the exact website, but but if you look for it, uh, there is a study on how it is like legitimately one of the greatest seasons of all time that we've ever seen in the NBA, because it was just absolute domination, and, and a guy who you know really took a team that was doing nothing and, and got them to a place that they would have never ever been without you know one individual just really you know stepping it up and and, and being just an all time great. And that year is, is incredible. But yeah, of course the injuries uh, came into issue, a lot of back injuries, and it really slowed him down and 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 to a certain extent he just couldn't stay healthy, couldn't stay on the court. Um, obviously the, the, the relationship in Houston with Yao Ming had some some highs and and obviously the lows were you know the health. The, neither guy could really stay healthy to make any long sort of playoff runs. And then there's the other team ac years that we won't talk about the Spurs, the Knicks and, and all the other weird stuff I think there's another team oh hey. the Pistons right he was a Piston I apologize uh, hey so. he
0: he helped the uh, Hawks in the playoffs one year So, uh, oh the
1: Hawks right yeah. yes yes yes. Had, yeah. did, he, did he ever get a, did he get a ring with the Spurs uh, no correctly? that was he, they lost so oh, they all, right. <laughs> damn it for team yeah, that's why they lost because they had T-Mac on their bench. Oh, so. yeah. It's like, I didn't
0: do anything. I'm go. just here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I haven't taken my warm-up off. Yeah, right. yeah. Maybe he I forgot
1: about the Hawks here. Jeez, man, that's hey, uh, hey.
0: It's a fine member. He he had one very fine quarter against the Celtics in that uh, series. So. <laughs> Who could forget yeah. the fine quarter? <laughs> <laughs> they, I think they hang quarter. a banner for
1: that right as well. <laughs> he had, you had know, a good you know, quarter for it's us. Retire his yeah.
0: number? Why not? <laughs>
1: right, yeah. it's pretty good. But uh, there's T-Mac there. But yeah, as far as him, as you mentioned, he's um in terms of all time. I mean, he's number nine uh, and he's kind of in the same realm as you had Michael Jordan at 73.4, Tracy McGregor at 72.1. This is wind shares uh, by age 25 and then Ed McCauley at 69.4. So another guy we mentioned there, but obviously t coming in as a high schooler sort of helps him get a few more years there. But when you really look at his career, it it really was a few years uh, really until he went to Orlando when he really broke out and, and was able to sort of flourish a little bit. So yeah, I mean, while he had a, you know, a few year head start, the first year was really nothing. I mean, his rookie year was, he was really kind of floundering and doing, much. So, uh, but yeah, still an impressive career, uh, by yeah. age 25.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at value of replacement player, um, you know, another way of uh, evaluating, uh, Another way of evaluating it, he's actually a third behind uh, Jordan and uh, LeBron. He's well behind LeBron. LeBron's like 61. Uh, Jordan's at 41, of course, you know, fewer years. And uh, McGrady's at 38. But he's, you know, he's ahead of Garnett. He's ahead of, uh, you know, Kobe, other guys who started at 18, you know, around the same time. So he definitely, you know, at that point looked like he was, you know, on on track to – you know like again, I mean, he definitely was one of these guys who absolutely like he was on track to be like a top 10 player. I mean he, he definitely um was on was on that path, I think ahead of almost anybody else who we're talking about here.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we'll move on now to uh, Elton Brand. He was the first overall pick of the 1999 NBA Draft. He was to be the Bulls' post-Jordan Pippen Jackson savior, uh, and he looked to part for uh, at least his rookie year. He averaged 20.1 points per game, 10 rebounds per game in his rookie year. I uh, shared Rookie of the Year honors with Steve Francis. And now, just a quick aside: What do you think about shared awards? Are you pro shared awards or or or, or anti shared MVPs and shared Rookie of the Years or whatever?
0: Um, you know, like. I mean, it's not like people are planning to share. It just kind of works out that way. So I, I think it's fine. I mean, I, I don't think... I, I think it's okay, especially Rookie of the Year. I mean, it's, it's a little weird for MVP. Um, I mean, that's only happened once and it was in the ABA. But um, I don't know. For the other awards, it just seems like, uh, you know, it, it's not that important. I mean, it's not like making a... Uh, it's not like making or breaking... It is, it is
1: life or death, Jason. Right. I don't know what you're talking about here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I, no, I, I think it's fine. I, I think it's... Um, you know, I, I think it's neat. I guess I'm I'm for I'm for rewarding, you know, um, good play all the time. So you know, if two guys happen to share, if there's two guys who are worthy of rookie of the year one year, if it's a particularly strong year, you know, we're going to have we have had some years where, you know, Malcolm Brogdon's winning the, winning the rookie of the year where there isn't really that good of a rookie and just it has to go to somebody. So I guess it kind of makes up for that in a sense.
1: Yeah. And, and the reason I ask is because this year is a pretty good case between Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons. Right. Like both guys, it's really hard to pick. And, yeah. and I hear people being like, oh, I don't know who to pick. I don't know who to pick. Like, just, just pick both. Who cares? Yeah. Like it's Rookie of the Year. Like right. reward both these guys. Hey, we have two really good rookies. Yeah. Let's give them both the awards. Well, so who cares? Yeah. Yeah, so. I
0: mean, one person cannot vote for both. Right. It, it just happens to be that, you know, half vote for right, one exactly. guy, half vote for the other. I mean, yeah, you know. Yeah. I get yeah, what you're like saying, I said, though. it's
1: not something where they're like, well, I guess like everybody gets together and decides that that's who it's going to be or whatever. Right. But yeah, sure. so but instead of making them like fight to the death to figure out who oh. is actually the rookie of the year, they just decide both of them. Oh, Could ho- be. Hopefully, <laughs> so.
0: no one will fight to the death for the rookie. Of the year. No, no, that, that would be, be that'd
1: fun. be no. bad. Yeah, the Steve Francis Elton Brand fight to the death was a uh, was the last time they, they yeah, did that absolutely. it did not work Man, out very well, yeah. well yeah. at all. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's why both these guys fell off after the maybe yeah you got to fight to death it's Not it's not great. Yeah but uh, so Elton Brand's crew yeah. took a little bit of a different turn in June 2011, 2001, rather. Uh, Brand was traded to the Clippers for the draft rights to Tyson Chandler. The Bulls were done with Elton Brand as their savior and now had two new saviors in Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler that uh, worked out equally as well. Uh, and. You know, Brand had a pretty good run there for the Clippers for a while. But uh, one thing that we definitely love in this podcast is anytime Donald Sterling looks like an idiot. Uh, and this is a great case because uh, when Elton Brand, he became a restricted free agent in 2003, uh, the Miami Heat made him an offer $82 million over six years uh, in what was an unprecedented move by Donald Sterling at the time. The Clippers matched Miami's offer and managed to keep Brand a Clipper for a few more years. Uh, prior to this, the biggest contract that Sterling had ever approved was a five-year, $15 million deal for Eric Pikowski I'll let you go with that as you will, but uh Eric Paikowski was the only big contract that Alan Sterling ever decided to sign in his career as an owner. But um, but what was good, though, about this to make him really look like an idiot is Sterling had refused to offer Bran a contract extension one year prior uh, when he'd been willing to accept less than the maximum. So he could have easily gotten Bran at a cheaper price, said, no, 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 we don't need that, and then ended up having to pay through the nose to keep out in brand. So pretty good. But anyway, it worked out, that deal, because... Um, brand had a pretty good year a pretty good career with the clippers but ironically enough uh in this exercise the year that everybody would kind of consider the best for elton brand which is 2006 a great year for the clippers you know they sort of made a, a really good playoff run brand looked like a monster that year 2006 that was not included he was 26 this year so everything that we're talking about here is up until when he really had what i would consider that breakout season or whatever which still shows pretty cool of, of like how good elton brand was to that point and what's kind of weird about this exercise and and you know including elton brand in this is uh 55 5.1 win shares, So that's a 26 most by age 25, uh, but was slightly above 50 win shares to the rest of his career. So I had a great amount of years, obviously I had injuries and, and sort of slowed down when he went to Philadelphia and kind of bounced around uh, after that. But yeah, it's pretty interesting that he probably shouldn't count because he wasn't a superstar on any level, you know, before age 25, but maybe he should have kind of been, but doesn't appear to be on a Hall of Fame track, but he didn't really ever have, like, a peak, and he was just kind of pretty good for his entire career, but it's interesting, because he, he shows up on this list, and he shows up as, as being one of those top guys by age 25 or whatever, but still was pretty good after 25, but yet still doesn't really feel like he fits in any camp, like he was great at a time and then fell off, or was great all time. He's just kind of a guy that sort of hung around for a lot of years and, and was pretty good, so I don't know exactly how to define the legacy of Elton Brand.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it, well, another thing is that like he didn't, you know, the, some of these other guys yeah, came right out of high school and were able to, you had extra time to build the legacy to, you know, get to get 25 to kind of build up the numbers. Where Brand, you know, he had two years of college or was at age 20 at least when he joined the league. So you know, he wasn't 18. He didn't he didn't quite have the same advantage that, you know, ahead of, you know, guys in you know, previous generations would have had. Um, uh, you know, so he, he kind of a, you know he he doesn't have the cheat in that sense um yeah i mean it was really obviously it was the acl injury that um you know, or Achilles injury that that took him out that changed his career even though he was still he was still okay after that and managed to hang on for like a long time he didn't have that uh superstar career the guy is it's, it's going to be interesting he he'll be in terms of hall of fame case um you know he's very um like i think he definitely could make it but it's it's definitely a borderline um, case and um It kind of depends on what you value your very long. There's definitely guys who have had – his resume, who have not gone in, but they're definitely guys who have had um, worse resumes that have gone in. So it's uh, yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot it's, of
1: it's uh, it's really interesting. Yeah, his career, the Hall of Fame probability on, on Basketball Reference, they have him at seven point two, which is about probably where I would put him too. It's just like because he's a guy who you know put up gaudy numbers throughout his career. Only two All Star games though, so he didn't really emerge amongst his you know peers or whatever. I don't think I forget I'm don't believe he was on an I think he was on one All NBA team that one 2006 season like we're saying. But other than that, not really ever you know anything more. So yeah, it's 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 weird where you kind of define him because in, you know, you sort of strip out the context and just look at his numbers. If I just gave you Elton Brand's career numbers, you go, oh, geez, wow, what a great career. But then you look at it amongst his peers in the era. I don't know. It's very weird how to define Elton Brand. He's he's going to be an interesting case as, as the years go on. But people might just forget about him. And, and he might be one of those fun ones that, you know, the the next Curtis Harris in 20 years is like, ah, why isn't Elton Brand in the Hall of Fame? Like, that's a hope Or the current Curtis Harris. Yeah, maybe he could, could yeah. do that. But, uh, but might I like be to too think big that, that some, by something. But yeah there's some middle schooler right now that's 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 planning on becoming the the next Curtis Harris. And it's just going to like really ape for Elton Brand for like 20 years to be the the man to uh, (laughs) to be, you know, Hall of Famer. That's that's just not quite there. But no, I mean, it's 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 got your numbers. I mean, averaging 20 points a lot and, and not being the most efficient, you know, 20 point score or whatever. But obviously, era dependent, it wasn't, you know, we're sort of living in an era now where where you know what what is efficient now wasn't efficient in 2002 you, you know in 2002 teams were fine just plopping the ball back you know to a guy back to the basket and let out brand sort of work or whatever and i mean you can't argue there was some success there too i mean it gave la pretty big success and, and when he we went to philly obviously the injury sort of sapped a lot but but they had some some decent success as well and then of course he also went to the hawks too because you know Everybody on this list ends up at the yeah, Hawks. Eventually, eventually, yeah. To the retirement tour with the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, That's pretty you know, good. It's,
0: so That's always good. So, yeah. So, <laughs> if you're looking at value of replacement, he is, and this is post 74. He's uh, tied for 15th to James Harden, <clears throat> uh, slightly ahead of Kawhi Leonard, um, a little bit behind uh, Shaq and Dwight Howard. So, you know, he, he's among some, you know, luminaries on this list when it comes to uh, 25. He's not absolutely like in the top 10, but he's, you know, he's solidly. Um, you know, he's solidly strong there, so he definitely had a um, you know definitely had a good run. And, the, and overall, I think his numbers are good enough that you know, yeah. you can definitely make the case. But so uh, so next we got Gilbert Arenas um, was um, selected 31st overall by uh, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Trenton Hassel was dra- was drafted directly ahead of him. So um, actually, surprisingly deep draft with uh, Tyson Chandler, Paul Gasol, Joe Johnson, Zach Randolph. Uh, Gerard Wallace, um, Tony Parker, Renus Mamedukor, and of course, uh, Ruben Boomty Boomty. Is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> I think it was
1: Boomjay Boomjay. Boom-Jay I believe, Boom-Jay. but oh, okay. I'm uh, yeah, sorry. I, I just remember because I used to play uh, NBA Two K a lot, and I would always be the Blazers because they had a pretty fun deep team. And you know, if I'd beat my friends, as I was, you know, of course I would always well, do. do, but. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Is that later in the games you put Room Boomjay Boomjay in because he was like at the end of the bench and, and he was a pretty yeah. solid player. He was pretty right. good, but uh, no, it's yeah. a deep draft and a lot of the, when you look at that like a Randolph, Jared Wallace, Parker, Arenas, Okor, even to a lesser extent Joe Johnson are not high draft picks at all. So it was a really in terms of like that second round and and late first round a lot of great value out of them. I mean, We're talking about some some really great players, some you know era you know top top era players as well okay. in terms of like a guys like a Zach Randolph and, and Jared Wallace had a pretty good run of years as well, and then Tony Parker of course you know speaks for himself. So it's pretty cool to see uh, how deep that draft can be and how you know if you know sometimes you could find some gems in the in the late first and and the second round
0: absolutely yeah uh, and a lot of these guys t- took a little while to find their role like pow pa- obviously was, was really good right away but um but you know randolph took a little while you know a few teams chandler took a, a while you know i mean parker was pretty good right away but even he had his struggles early on you know with the spurs obviously a lot of team success so um yeah, sort of. A lot of these guys, you know, weren't stars right away, but obviously carved out, you know, great careers. Uh, you know, a couple of them are, are definitely Hall of Famers. Uh, so, yes. So, um, yeah, Rookie he was fine, just kind of average player, you know, 10, 10.9 points per game. Then, uh, great second year was NBA most improved player and then ended up getting a six year, $60 million contract with the wizards. There was a, um, in fact, a rule named after him. If he had been a first round pick, the warrior's, would have been able to use salary cap exceptions to match the offer. But at the time, the exceptions could not be used to re-sign second round picks. So the Warriors were unable to match the rule. They were unable to go over salary cap to match it. Um, the rule was later—the Gilbert Arenas rule was later created to allow teams like the Warriors the ability to re-sign restricted free agents who had not been first round picks. Um, in 0405, he and Larry Hughes' team to give the Wizards the highest a scoring backcourt duo in the NBA and they led the wizards for, uh, to a 45 win season, their first playoff berth in 97. And, you know, Really, their first kind of sustained success in, you know, since, since really the, the 70s. I mean, they, they were never great, <laughs> but they were, you know, they were pretty good for a while. Um, I think they've been kind of usurped now by the, you know, the John Wall, Bradley Billiards. That team's been a little bit better, but uh, like I said, it had been a long time since they were any good. So there was a lot of excitement there. Hit three All Star games by the time he was 25, um, 47.9 win shares by age 25, which is 38th uh, all time by that age, um, but only 3.5 total win shares in five seasons after um he he had uh he had another uh, severe um injury forget if it was achilles uh tear or not but it basically was done after that was traded to the uh magic and bounced around after that it was it was not uh it was not good
1: no yeah the gilbert thing and then obviously there was there was other oh well yes <laughs> that's all I, that played into I, it yeah, but uh
0: <laughs> bringing guns in the locker room yeah that no, was no yeah not ideal uh, not, not, not ideal, ideal. Either, actually. Uh, <laughs> blanked on that for a second which obviously he's most famous for uh unfortunately yeah uh yeah we, that that's I mean that, that kind of, that's you know he's never going to get his number retired by the Wizards I assume and like you know the the, the kind of like legacy defining things were like okay even if he wasn't even if he just fell short of the Hall of Fame like that that's going to keep him from really getting any of those like you know um, second tier honors that like guys like him like like a Brandon Roy you know will get with the Blazers you know get yeah, honored sure, by that sure, you know, he's right. never going to get that kind of stuff because you know he just because <laughs> that's pretty much souring his reputation.
1: Absolutely. But, yeah, I mean, this is a guy who, go back and watch some of the highlights, go back. and I mean, this guy was a force for a, a number of years and was a great story as well because he, you know, really didn't, you know, in the Warriors. He was he was emerging and obviously he won the you know, most improved and, and, and sort of broke out a little bit after those first, you know, year or whatever. But then goes to the Wizards and really just, like, completely transforms that franchise. I mean, they, that franchise owes a lot of their, you know, <laughs> in a lot of ways because they were nothing. I mean, the franchise had so many issues for so many years and that, they drafted great players. I mean, they obviously had Weber, they had, you know, Juwan Howard, they had guy after guy after guy. That would come in there And it just never really Kind of came together You know Arenas teams with With you know Larry Hughes And a few other guys And they They, they sort of come there they get some success and they they start looking like a great team again and look like they're they're on track to to do something more and Then obviously the injuries sap him and then obviously the, the personal stuff um sort of saps a little bit of his career as well and then he bounces around at the end of his year did not go to the hawks though i don't believe <laughs> for Gilbert <laughs> arenas but uh yeah it's, it's kind of interesting to see how his career sort of the way it went and, and where it was by age 25 he was definitely on pace to be you know maybe not maybe not an all-time all-time great but definitely a guy that we would talk about in 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 sort of you know had that trajectory gone on a guy that was an all-time great scorer but you just didn't quite all come together for him. Alright, and then we'll end with, uh, Luol Deng Dang here. He's one of the, or not and we got a few more guys to talk about here, but, uh, and if, as far as this little exercise, best by age 25. And surprisingly, I was, I was kind of interested by this. Luol Dang is 49th in win shares by age 25 at 43.9. So not maybe all time there, but still top 50 in terms of win shares by age 25. I would not have expected Luol Dang to do that, especially given sort of where, um, where he came in and, and how he came into the draft and obviously not coming from high school playing a few years in Duke, but, uh, he was 19 when he came into the league, so that definitely does play a part in that, uh, 29.3 win shares in seven seasons since, uh, that age 25 so as we can see you know uh 43.9 for uh, by age 25 and now 23.9 um in the 17th and since so yeah now he's considerably uh consistently under one per year uh in winchairs his career is winding down he's kind of in exile there in the lakers so i don't know if he's necessarily can't play anymore but the lakers don't really want to play him it's this very odd thing so we'll see sort of where the little Deng thing goes he could still land on the
0: hawks it's still possible
1: there, no, there's a very good chance he could land on the Hawks. Because, yeah he's, yeah, he's got a, a, a big contract. He got signed in that big s, yeah. you know summer where everybody just decided to throw around money like crazy. Because yeah. the salary oh. cap would never stop going up. And then the salary cap stopped going up. And now you have contracts it's with, with dang, and, a little dang. You know,
0: so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They'll, they'll try to. Because, yeah, he's, he's unfortunate on the Lakers and a team that really wants to play all the young players. And, and has, you know, an older veteran that makes a lot of money in the little dang. So it's, it's a weird situation right now. But uh, we'll see how it ends up going. But a little bit of background on dang. He was selected seventh in the 2004 uh, draft by the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Immediately traded the Chicago Bulls for Jackson Vorman and a future first round pick. Uh, That pick eventually became Nate Robinson. And of course, if you followed any of the Suns transactions over the 2000s, you know that they moved him to the Knicks for Quinton uh, with Quinton Richardson for Kurt Thomas and Dijon Thompson. And that was kind of a thing that the the Suns always drafted good players, but then immediately traded them to save money, you know, to save like 000, 000, a million dollars. They traded Rage on Rondo or to save, you know, two million dollars. They would trade, you know, a Nate Robinson or whatever. But I mean, Kurt Thomas was a good player for them, so I don't hate on that. But uh, yeah, the the, the Suns in the 2000s were a consistent uh, trade dra- young, you know, high draft picks for either you know lower draft picks or for nothing or for cash in some cases so it's right. yeah. kind of a thing but
0: um yeah i mean the fact that like the suns could have kept Luo dang and he would have probably been a really good player in those seven seconds or less uh teams <laughs> right yeah right. that would have added some depth there and would have like totally seemed like he would have fit pretty well and you know could have had a very different career had he done that i mean he had some good years with, the, with the bulls obviously but that would have been that, that seems like that would have really helped the Suns for sure so Oh, yeah, he would have been awesome on the yeah, Suns, but right. yeah, of course yeah. they uh, they had to save like a million dollars or something, Sure. so
1: uh, it is rookie-year dang team with fellow high draft picks Kirk Heinrich, Ben Gordon, Tyson Chandler, and Eddie Curry uh, to help the Bulls make their first playoff appearance in seven years. The team also had a 24-win improvement under Scott Skiles, so it was a pretty good improvement there. Uh, he was all-rookie first team, and uh, yeah, dying, uh, dang solid defense all-around skills helped the Bulls make three straight playoffs and the Eastern Conference semifinals in 2007. Uh, he had made two All-Star games by the time he was uh, his age 25, and then obviously it still had a pretty good, you know, collection of years after that, but then some injuries and and overplaying by Tom Thibodeau and yeah. you know some spinal fusions and or not oh, spinal yeah. fusions, what do you uh, A spinal tap? Yeah, yeah the right. spinal tap. Yeah, that he that was, that <laughs> <was> <laughs> absolutely, nearly crazy. died. Yeah. but uh, other than nearly dying, he had a pretty good uh, other part of his career. But uh, yeah, then he bounced around a little bit, went to Miami. Um, not the Hawks yet, no, but not, yeah, uh, yeah. you know he's in the Lakers right now. Yeah. Went to Miami, uh, played for Cleveland for a little bit as well after he was traded from the Bulls, but has sort of bounced around since and hasn't really quite found his footing. But uh, yeah, had a really great career by age twenty five. A guy that I think we kind of underrate how good he was for a while, and a lot of his value comes in terms of defense and all around game. As I said, he wasn't really a great scorer, he wasn't really a great shooter, but he was a really good defender. Could really defend one through five any position. Uh, was known for you know being able to try to defend LeBron James at points. Uh, but yeah, had a really really good uh, early career and then sort of maybe I don't know how he fits in this in terms of being an all-time great but I mean I think he would be a guy that we definitely if things sort of stayed the way they were for a while would be one of those guys I don't know
0: where you like, know Sean
1: Marion maybe, type you know? or yeah like one of those guys that we look at and like oh yeah like he, he you know had an underrated career and, and maybe deserves to be you know considered amongst you know the top 150 or top I mean I doubt yeah be a top I, I think 100
0: is, is fair you know, if, if he had continued along the same path yeah probably not any better than that though
1: no, but that's that's about his peak. But that's still. I mean, Rich, I, I don't so, think he's anywhere near good. that that level yeah. right now. So no,
0: yeah. Um, those yeah, those seven bulls were. I mean, that seemed like a changing of the guard a little bit. I mean, they smashed the the Heat pretty well in um in in that playoff series, from what I remember. Uh, you know, that, that looked, looked kind of like, oh, these bulls might actually be like you yeah. kind of an upcoming power <laughs> in the East. Yes, and Jason. Then, yes, we did. <laughs> it <yeah>. didn't happen. <laughs> and then the. Um, you know, then, then of course the the Celtics got Kevin Garnett and kind of changed the uh, you know the path of the league, and they had some injuries and stuff, and um, and, and trades, but eventually, like those, um, and then they kind of let left into in the Derrick Rose, and then had another um, you know great uh, another pretty good run, you know there, but um, and he was part of that, but but yeah, I mean, he was definitely someone who looked. Um, You know, pretty interesting, and that that Bulls team's kind of a little bit forgotten because of uh, you didn't last very long. But for a a moment there, they looked like they were gonna do some more interesting stuff than they ended up. Um, yeah, and they had a it was doing, a
1: super young team too cuz like you look at the roster you got Ben Gordon, he was 23, Lowell dang, right. 21, Kirk Heinrich, 26, Nocioni who who came over from Argentina, he was yeah. only 27. You know, Ben Wallace they brought in uh, right. as a free agent and and that actually was, you know, not as great as a lot of people thought, but, I mean, he had a, uh, yeah. he had a pretty good a few good it, years. It was too with much them, money, and,
0: but he was still like a, you know, a good defensive player and like was helpful toward winning. I mean, he was, right, over, exactly. he was overpaid, but but it, you know, and and there were definitely like some unhappy locker room stuff and they, you know, they eventually traded Chandler and, you know, so um, it wasn't a good long-term team, but he was still useful at that point.
1: Right, and then you have the Scott Skiles factor where like he gets teams to a point and then they all hate him and then right. he just has to go away because then they suck and they don't want to play for him anymore. But that's exactly. that's the Skiles thing. He did that with Milwaukee, too. It's like, holy shit, this Milwaukee team's great. And it's like, yeah, ah, we hate Scott Skiles. And they're like, uh, all right, we're gone. Like,
0: one thing I wanted to say about Deng before we move on is that he and, except for the Lakers, he and Dwayne Wade have played for the exact same franchises. So.
1: Oh wow, you're right. <laughs> Jeez.
0: So ho- hopefully, w- hopefully the Wade can play for the Lakers someday, so that uh, yeah, yeah, you know, they hey. can they can match four, you know, because that'd be fun.
1: I never thought of that. That's interesting. Yeah, that's
0: that's the type of thing that popped in my head. <laughs> this while. I, is, I don't know this why. That's what you
1: pay for on this free podcast here. <laughs> I, don't, those, those, I don't know why. Those great anecdotes. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um. So anything else we want to uh, get to before we look at some of the uh, the percentages? Oh, no, I think we're good
1: on uh, the best under 25.
0: So, yeah, we're kind of looking at the players who, um, you know, buy wind shares who in their first five seasons had the most wind shares um, and then kind of looking at the the portion of um, the, the production in their first five years versus um, you know the rest of their career. So mm-hmm. uh, guys who were had extremely high percentage of wind shares in their first five years were um George Mikan, who's third overall in their in their um, first five years, eighty seven percent of his win shares came in his first five years. But this is easily explained. He only played six and a half years in the BAA and the NBA, um, and he's still sixty eighth all time uh, in um, NBA ABA career win shares. Despite you know the, the lack of time there, which is kind of amazing, honestly, um, to have that amount in that short of time is uh, says something for sure. Oh
1: no, definitely, yeah, but yeah, it's easily explained by you know, given just how the guys played or whatever. But still, to have him still at that point and still have him as high as he is 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 pretty remarkable, given you know how few years he actually did play. Yeah,
0: I I, I guess I'll list the names of guys who are at the top just to uh, give us some context here. So, so Wilt is number one with one hundred and four point nine. Kareem is number two with one hundred and one point eight. Mike is third with ninety four point four. Then we got Oscar Robertson, Artis Gilmore, who are in the eighties. In the seventies, we have David Robinson, Julius Irving, Michael Jordan, and then um a few guys who are in the 60s ed mccauley also on this list at number nine neil johnston uh at at uh, 66 at, at number 10 and then walt bellamy after him then we got duncan lebron barkley dan Issel, Arizon, chris paul larry bird so um you know mostly all-time greats here with a few you know kind of exceptions uh that we'll get into but um after Mike and other guys who have extremely high portion in their first five years um neil johnston at 72 percent um and he's in the top 100 win shares um, all the time. And McCauley, 69%, also in the top 100. So, And, and again, you know, we obviously got Win into McCauley. And these guys you just had short careers because of the t- era that they played in. So that's you know most of the explanation there. Um, so an, an interesting guy I want to dig a little bit more deeply into is um, Walt Bellamy. And he had 51% of his win shares in his first five years. He played 13 seasons. So that's you know a really high portion there. Um, It's sort of interesting to look at the track of his career. He was a two-time All-American Indiana, played in the 1960 Olympics, who was one of the, you know, probably the greatest team ever assembled at that time, um, and was the number one pick in 61 to the expansion uh, Chicago Packers. Um, And those Packers were really bad. We'll get into that. Um, As he was Rookie of the Year in 62, he had uh, 31.6 points per game, which is second all-time for a rookie next to Walt Chamberlain and his... uh, 19 rebounds per game which is the third most and he set an nba record with uh 51.9 field goal percentage however the packers were absolutely terrible um they had the sixth worst win loss record and sixth worst srs in BA uh, baa nba history at the time um and uh curtis harris wrote a a good piece when uh, bellamy died in 2013 and pointed out that uh out of their ten-man rotation, uh, six of the players were out of the league the very next season, and three of the others combined to play uh, just 212 more NBA games. So that was not a that was obviously not a good team. So he was <laughs> no. basically asked to do everything and, and did it well. I mean, did it obviously efficiently? Yeah. You know, scored efficiently. Um, you know, it, it was good. But you know, looking more at. When he went into his his career, um, he was an All Star those first four seasons as the team uh, became the Zephyrs. The next year, after somebody figured out, hey, Chicago Packers, not a good idea, um, and then went to <laughs> then went to Baltimore um, as the Bullets, um, and um, uh, he never made an All NBA team despite those four All Star appearances, but. It's not really that surprising because he was behind Wilt and Russell all of those years, who basically had a lock on the first and second spots. Um, but if you look at you know if you look at the list of guys who were you know centers in the uh, '60s, you know, I think he's pretty clearly the the third best there. Um, and some of that's due to the fact they played most of the '60s. I mean, Willis Reed was only there half the decade. Thurman, you know, started in '64, so they kind of started late. I mean, uh, really, you know, uh, Zemo Beatty, Red Kerr, Reed, and Thurman are the only other options that you could argue. Either, but I think, you know, given longevity, given production, I think he's definitely the third best center in the uh, 60s. Um, his first coach, uh, Slick Leonard, of course, famously later the uh, uh, Pacers coach, said uh, Walt wasn't a highly motivated player night in and night out. He'd have some great games and then have some ones where he didn't show up, but he was an excellent player. Um, his scoring declined from from uh, 31.6 points to 19 points in 67 um, and stayed in the teens for his later of his career. But as we said, the talent around him got better. The Bullets did finally make the playoffs in... Year four, and they had Gus Johnson, Bailey Howell, and Don Ole who are all real good players. In fact, they upset the uh, Hawks and Bob Pettit's last year, and then took the uh, Lakers to uh, six games that season. That was the uh, series where Jerry West averaged um, four, almost forty-seven points per game, and uh, <laughs> Elgin Baylor seriously injured his knee in, in game one of that series. So uh, you know, West took over. It's actually a really classic uh, series. All those games were really really close, and had some really good teams. And in his career, he only won one more playoff series, nineteen seventy. With the uh, Hawks over the uh, Bulls, um, and then kind of bounced around after that. Traded the Knicks the next season, not really a good fit with Willis Reed, but also had some you know pretty good talent. They didn't make the playoffs uh, those years, but finally, when he was traded for Dave DeBusschere, that turned around the team. He ended up getting stuck on the uh, Pistons, set a record that year by playing 88 games in a uh, season because of you know how many games the Pistons had left when he acquired them. Um, after two years with the Pistons that were not that noteworthy, he actually settled into, you know, played with the Hawks, had, you know, had an interesting team with Pete Maravich and, um, and, uh, and those guys, Lou Hudson and those guys, and then ended his career playing one game with the uh, Jazz. And, um, uh, it took a while to get into the Hall of Fame, but finally was inducted in 1993. He's one of 10 NBA, ABA players all time with uh, 20,000 points and uh, 14,000 rebounds, Uh, And was really durable. Only missed six games in his first eleven season, and only missed twelve in his career overall. So, um, Mm -hmm. and when he retired, he was sixth all time in scoring, and third all time in rebounding, and um, and third all time in shooting percentage. So, like, he really, you know, was like a productive player, but just didn't really win anywhere. And obviously, as as we've said, got most of that value in his first five years. Um, But uh, had an interesting career. More. You know, like I said, didn't have a lot of winning along those times, but I think was just so overshadowed by Wilt and Russell that didn't quite get the appreciation that maybe he deserved.
1: Yeah, and not having a single spot where you can really say, "Okay, Walt Bellamy was a X team's legend," you know what I mean? Where he bounces around right. a little much, and that, that's that's We've always an issue, especially that, in this era, yeah, where right. guys, where most guys were at one spot. I mean, there was Wilt went to you know a few different teams, and that was seen as like, "Oh, well, so I don't know what's up with Wilt if he's got it." Whereas you know, Bill Russell's obviously Celtics. You, you know, he's synonymous with the team. I would say he's probably synonymous with the, the, the Bullets, but it's like you you know you can make a case he's just as synonymous with the like it, it's just it's hard to make a case he's synonymous with any one team. And that always hurts you as well if you can't just say a Walt Bellamy X and, and the team that initially comes up. So, so that always hurts guys' legacies as well, particularly at this time of the uh, you know in the NBA when when it wasn't common for guys to move around and bounce around a little bit. And Bellamy was bouncing around you know pretty frequently, almost every few years uh, on a different team in a different franchise.
0: So among the guys on. Um on this list who uh, kind of breaking down some of the percentages got guys who were in had a high percentage of their win shares in their first 5 seasons uh Oscar at 44% um artist gilmore 43% david robinson 44% uh irving 41% wilt uh 38% and kareem was 37% which is it was extra high for him because he played <laughs> 20 years you know the other guys right, played it's... you know like 14 15 years artists yeah. did, did play uh yeah you know, 18 I think years but the rest of these guys, you know, had more normal length ca- careers. So the fact that you know Kareem had, had so much of that in the first five seasons is, is really interesting,
1: and that he was just like so goddamn good that like it was right. just so, like, yeah. you know, he accumulated you know two hundred and seventy three total win shares or whatever. Right. So yeah, it's yeah, just it's yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, he is what he by saying. far the
0: most. So yeah, that that, that also helps. Um, and more like a, a regular portion, um, I would say you know kind of in the thirties we have. Barkley at 36%, Russell at 35%, Hakeem at 33%, uh, Jordan at 34%, uh, Duncan at 32%, Shaq at 31, LeBron at 30. Of course, his career isn't over yet, so he's kind of hard to measure here. But uh, the rest of these guys, I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's hard to know exactly what you would expect. I mean, if you play 15 years, you might expect somewhere around you know the the low to mid 30s. If you, if you were going to evenly distribute it, obviously it'd be 33, percent but usually you know you're gonna you're not gonna va- produce as much when you're a rookie or second season. But you know, you get third and fourth and fifth years, you're gonna kind of make up for that somewhat. Probably gonna have the most in you know that in year six through ten, which is. you you know, going to be your prime, going to start to decline at the end of that, and then your last five years will be less. So, um, you know, so I think these guys all kind of fit in with that distri- uh, distribution for the most part. Although uh, Duncan did have a long career, Akeem did have a longer career, so uh, you know, some of that's a little bit off. But but if you're talking guys who you know had a low percentage in the. Um, you know Reggie Miller, twenty seven percent. Dirk, twenty six percent. Although he, again, he played twenty years, so this is actually about average. Uh, Moses Malone, twenty three percent. John Stockton and Carl Malone were twenty two and twenty one percent. Excuse me. Um, Respectively, and of course, they you know didn't come straight out of high school. You know, they, they they both had you know full I think four years of college. I think Milo maybe had three years of college, but either way, they you know it's not like they got early starts. You know, um, where you know KG and Kobe both at twenty percent, but both K- it came straight out of high school, so that you know makes a little bit more sense. So, but I thought that was interesting to look at the distribution between the all time grades because it, it does vary very wildly.
1: Uh, yeah, no, that is, and and these are guys that we're going to hopefully explore a little bit more uh, in a future show, and guys particularly like Stockton, Malone, um, and even doing a less percent and you know, Derek, guys that, you know, later in their lives, you know, later in their careers sort of had, or um, emerged a lot, and, and that's sort of where they accumulated a lot of their numbers, yeah. a lot of their stats, or whatever. Particularly a guy like a Stockton, you look at, at Stockton's career, and we sort of think of him as as you know great for, but there was like, you know, four or five years where Stockton was just fine, I mean, he was okay, he was a good player, until like, you know, he turns 32 and then it's like, oh, shit, like now he's like great or whatever and, and accumulates a lot of that i was surprised by carl malone though because i thought malone was always a guy who when he came into the league was was always pretty productive but i guess it speaks less to how productive he was you know his first few years and more to how awesome he was in the later years and, and how productive he got later in his, his career and how productive he was until basically he was 40 so that i think that's where you get maybe a little bit of uh, of him in there but yeah we do want to explore some of these guys because it is a little more fun to see the guys a little bit of the late bloomers and the guys that really did a lot of their you know heavy lifting you know later in their careers?
0: Right. Yeah, I think we're going to dig into that in another show, looking at yeah, kind of like a, a after a you know age thirty two or whatever, and you know the last five years of their career, how much value they added you know versus because yeah, some guys obviously do it early, some guys do it late, sometimes some guys do it their entire career, depending on on the on the guy. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so looking at value of replacement player, um, if you look at the guys who are top in their first five years. Uh, we have uh, Jordan as number one with forty one point four. David Robinson and LeBron are two and three at about thirty nine, and then the other guys in the thirties are Charles Barkley, Larry Bird, and Chris Paul. Guys who are in the twenties are Tim Duncan, Magic Johnson, Julius Irving, and then you know, and those are you know basically all time greats. Um, you know, post seventy four. That 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 list I don't think is too surprising. And then we get into some really interesting ones. Number ten is Grant Hill. Number eleven is Bobby Jones. Uh, then he's right ahead of uh, Kim Olajuwon. Then we have Andre Karolinko, Clyde Drexler, Shaquille O'Neal, Steve Francis, uh, Kevin Garnett, Bob McAdoo, Sidney Moncrief, and Elton Brand are our top twenty. So uh, I, I think that's really interesting. Uh, also, uh, Brand is tied with um, with Marcus Johnson and Dwayne Wade. All three of them at exactly twenty one point one. So uh, it's sort of interesting to look at you know what's going on there um, and, and some of the you know percentages of those guys in terms of their careers. Grant Hill at 60% of his, he was 49th all-time in win shares. Now, not surprising because of the injuries of course. Uh Bobby Jones at 50%, 58%, excuse me. Um Andre Kirilenko also 58%. Um Steve Francis is 81%, which is is kind of kind of <laughs> mind-blowing the fact that he was, you know, 16th on this list. Um and the fact that you know he really i mean i i, I kind of knew that he fell off you know pretty quickly but how dramatically he was he actually led the nba in um in value replacement player in the 2001 season um but you know the accumulation of injuries uh drugs uh that well documented drug issues that he's had after his career I, I think some of that is assumed to have been during his career as well uh you know uh getting into fights with management, that kind of thing. Katino Mobley getting traded, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, when he was with the Magic, all that stuff kind of uh, led to a dramatic decline in his career. But man, those first five years were, you know, really something. He was really pretty high up there and, and kind of definitely on track, I think, for a top 50 career.
1: Oh, absolutely. No, and he was a superstar at that time too. And it's, yeah. it's hard to remember. And obviously it was a, it was an NBA that was sort of looking desperately to find their next superstar, their next guy or whatever. You had, you know, obviously Tim Duncan putting up great numbers, but not as marketable of a star. But Francis was one of those guys. I mean, I remember him being one of the big dudes. And him and McGrady were, were guys that the NBA really rallied behind. Vince Carter to a lesser extent as well. And, and Francis deserved it. He was great. And then it, it, it all <laughs> kind of just, it, it's, it yeah, it never really came together after that. And there was always, do on and off issues and, and team success issues and, and yeah, chemistry issues and like you said, even possibly the drugs and some other stuff that that went on with C. Francis. But yeah, I mean, this guy was really, really good, and and it's going to be a little lost of time how good he was those for a few years. But yeah, definitely yeah. Um, pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's kind of similar to Arenas in a lot of respects. Although there wasn't the one dramatic injury that you know kind of explained it all. I mean, there was it was accumulation of things, but. But yeah, um, another guy who had a really high percentage as well, uh, Bob McAdoo, eighty um, percent. And this this one, you know, he was an MVP. You know, I mean, he he. This one kind of makes sense. Well, it it makes sense that he had created so much value early in his career because of. Um, you know, the fact that he fell off pretty quickly, but the, the reasons that he fell off are still seem a little bit murky, but we'll, we'll kind of break it down. We, we, this m- might be another one that we explore in even greater depth uh, in the future. Cause I think he's a really interesting guy, uh, a really big pioneer in, in, in terms of being a, you know, great shooting big man. Um, but he, um, had 80 percent of his uh, value replacement came in his first five seasons, and a, and actually it's, it's four seasons because it, it was not uh, measured yet in his rookie year. So steals and blocks weren't available in his rookie year. So, um, but yeah, he was rookie of the year, MVP in his third season. He had three scoring titles, um, and you know it was great with the Buffalo Braves. They were an up and coming team. Five time All Star. Did have a couple of those with the Knicks. Two time All NBA. And in the middle of the uh, 76 season, um, Sports Illustrated called him the quickest tall man, the finest shooter, and the most uh, astounding outside scoring machine ever to play basketball. Uh, Jack Ramsey um, said that he could become the greatest big man to ever play the game. Um, And uh, Bill Russell, who was coach of the Sonics, um, said that uh, he's the greatest shooter of all time, period. Forget that bit about greatest shooting big man. So that was the reputation that he had at the time. Um, and then, you know, he also famous for coming back with the Lakers in 82 and being, being a really strong reserve for them, uh, you know, won two titles and made four finals for them. And, and was, you know, really good at fitting into role. So what, happened in between is, is a little bit murky but he definitely had some uh, conflicts with buffalo felt like he didn't get enough attention there um felt that you know he was you know he was a little sensitive to criticism um in that 76 season after the year after he won the mvp he has to be excused from a game because of background back problems and then had some issues with a. Uh, Paul Snyder, the Buffalo owner, asked him to see a, uh, a second doctor. McAdoo refused, and then he was suspended for one game because of that. Eventually, um, he was uh, he was traded to the Knicks, uh, basically for cash. He did, they did get Tom McMillan and, and John Nelly, but that was not nearly the value that he would have gotten. Um, and even though the, those Knicks are not seen as you know, those are seen as rough years for the Knicks, McAdoo actually did, did still he performed pretty well, at least yeah. statistically. Um, but there was definitely some internal clashes he and uh, Spencer Haywood were playing together and that relationship was not strong Haywood was definitely in the midst of uh of drug issues and uh, other things going on and and Haywood was also hurt a lot during that time so they didn't actually play together all that much he was still third in the league in scoring in 78. Uh, uh, but he was traded midway the next year. So so things actually were okay in New York. That wasn't, you know, the the, the they underperformed, but it wasn't like he was bad there. It was more like, uh, you know, it was just kind of a disappointment. It was um I don't know, kind of like Carmelo Anthony in New York maybe. I mean, that's probably a, a decent it didn't last as long, but that's kind of a decent comparison mm-hmm. I would say to Right.
1: We're still productive, still, you know, had but it was just kind of didn't ever feel right or it, it, it <laughs> yeah, never it never fit
0: because of, you know, there were other issues that were going mm-hmm. on as well. So uh, yeah, so then then it gets you know pretty weird. Uh, he is traded to Boston f- for uh, Tom Barker and three first round picks. Uh, Red Arbuck was not consulted about the trade. Whoops. It was uh, <laughs> the the owner of the Celtics, uh, John Brown, who had also been the owner of the Braves, who had been part of uh, sending uh, McAdoo out to the Knicks. He gets him back for the three first round picks. Arbach had been had plans for those picks, so he was not happy about doing that. Um, McAdoo was behind uh, Dave Collins, who at that point was player coach, um, so he ended up not playing as much as he uh, wanted to. He did still score 24.8 points per game in 60 games, um, so he yeah, was still not unproductive but was definitely you know in a lesser role and not, and not thrilled about it um and the the Celtics were obviously not thrilled to have him eventually he was sent to the Pistons as compensation for the Boston signing of ML Carr who, who at that point was was a good player would later you know become known for waving the towel behind Larry Bird's uh, Celtics later on but at that <laughs> point was still a you know, pretty good player uh and then yeah, Detroit was not good there was uh, there were some injuries going on he actually he played like a season and a half there um the uh the he he uh, filed a grievance with the Players Association while he was with the Pistons. I, I I'll have to look more into what that was about, but only had 10 games with the uh, Nets, and um, eventually he and the Nets could not agree on a contract the next year. And then he uh, uh, finally was the, the Lakers took a chance on him, trading him for a cash in a second round pick, and then he settled in there and, and was good. But yeah, some, some weirdness going on during those times. And. Uh, You've, I think a lot of people would make the assumption of drugs, but that I, I've not seen anything that links him to cocaine or, or drug use during that time. It just seems like it was, you know, combination of attitude, combination of bad situations, combination of injuries. So we'll, that's a, again we'll have to one we'll have to dig into. And it took a while, but he was elected into the. Um, Basketball Hall of Fame, I believe, in the early 2000s. So, you um, did eventually get his due. Like I said, he, you know, he was MVP. So, I, I think there's no question that you know the the whole thing is crazy. He did get that second act, but that whole middle tenure, there's just some weirdness going on there.
1: Yeah, it kind of stinks because yeah, he had a run of you know, as you said, MVP run, a run of All Star games. Was really one of the top tier players of the league in scoring for a few years, and then obviously it, the, the the fits and all. And and we forget that these guys aren't machines. Sometimes you know, sometimes when you don't feel like you know you're in the right place or you, you're not quite sure you know what team. You're going to be on next. And, you know, he finds out that he gets traded, you know, if I read the newspaper and stuff like that, that stuff grinds on you a little bit. And it seemed like he he never quite felt comfortable in New York. Never, of course, never felt comfortable in, in, in uh, Boston. Detroit was, you know, a, a brief time when he was comfort, And it, it was actually his numbers reflected that, too. He had a really good uh, year in Detroit. But then he's, you know, in New Jersey. It was it was nothing. It seemed like he really just kind got a, a lot of the, the energy got sapped out of him. And then when you go to the Lakers, obviously, he's not the same player he was because now he's 30. He's obviously getting into, you know, the older part of his career, but really found a niche as, as sort of a bench score for that team and and won two titles and seemed to kind of figure it out. So it was cool to see him you know get that little bit of a resurrection. But I think it's very similar a case like to Bellamy where it's like you can't really define him by one franchise. So it always hurts then the all-time case. And and what right. really hurts him too is that, that we're in a between period, which should have been arguably his peak, was spent you know bouncing around between teams, not quite sure where he would go, you're not quite sure you know what what where he should fit in, how he should fit in, all that sort of stuff. So that kind of stinks is that you know that 26 to, to 30 is just kind of this lost period for him. Um, so you wonder what could have happened had had he just been in one stable situation had he just went to detroit or whatever and just stuck around there for a while or you know the boston thing hadn't happened or the new york thing hadn't happened or whatever so yeah definitely an interesting right. case there of a guy who you know had he had found one home base how different things could have possibly been
0: yeah probably the one place that was his home base was really buffalo but of course who doesn't exist anymore and and the clippers have not really had any interest in you know, celebrating those years in, in any way so um so yeah it, it's been lost a little bit that way too i mean yeah he, he's lucky he as the lakers part of his career because obviously there's a lot of lakers fans and He's finally remembered for having a you know relatively small role in those teams, but obviously an important role yeah. on those teams. So yeah, the, the last a couple guys we're going to talk about it just a little bit is um, Sidney Moncrief, um, who sixty three percent of his win shares came in the first five years, and uh, or I'm sorry, value replacement, and uh, and Marcus Johnson sixty two percent. So they're they're right like basically in the same uh, boat. They both have um, they're, they're both in the eighties in terms of um, of value replacement all the time. And yeah, they're they're right, kind of in the same uh, right, almost exactly in the same spot there. And yeah, both guys, you know, those early '80s Bucks teams, um, you know, and and injuries derailed. You know, and and both those guys are not in the Hall of Fame. And I think they both very clearly should be in the Hall of Fame, or or, or they both have strong cases for being in in the Hall of Fame, um, right there. But yeah, those were interesting that those guys, you know, on the same teams, you know, basically. Johnson was a, was a couple years before Moncrief, and he, he got traded really before the injuries happened. Moncrief stayed with Milwaukee, and the kind of the injuries you know, kind of um, zapped some of his uh, strength. Luckily, they they had enough talent there, you know, to still be able to keep those teams strong for quite a while. But yeah, it's. Um, you know, another guys who, you know, unfortunately just the, it's, we, we, it's pretty easily explained with the injuries, but it's interesting. The, the Bucks have a number of those guys who, um, you know, it seems like if you want to be really productive uh, for a period of time and make the hall of fame, don't play for the Bucks because, uh, you know, Moncrief, Marcus Johnson and, um, and Bobby Dandridge all, you know, are among the top guys who I would say, say should be in the hall of fame and aren't in there uh, for whatever reason. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, shocking that he's
1: not but again like i said that's it's that's a guy we've talked about from almost day one of the show it's, it's just unbelievable yeah. how he still hasn't found a way in there especially the basketball hall of fame which is like you know right. anybody you know high school coach wins a thousand games it goes in there but yeah for some reason he can't get in there but yeah. whatever
0: all right uh, anything else to uh, to chat about rich i think we got it i
1: think this is good this was a fun little exercise to do a little fun uh thing to explore here and something that i think a lot of people will enjoy so yeah no i enjoyed it i had fun doing it
0: Cool. Well, everyone, uh, thanks for uh, checking us out. Of course, you can find us at the stepback at fansided.com. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you uh, listen to your podcast. We would appreciate a rating and review for uh, makes us feel good about the work that we do. So uh, thanks for listening. And we're we'll back again soon.